Hello, and welcome to Dismantle Racism. I am your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC, and the goal of this show is to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. Today's episode, we are going to be talking about the untold story of the anti-abortion movement, religion, and racism. And I cannot wait to talk to today's guest about this such critical topic, particularly given what is going on in the country right now around anti-abortion and a woman's right to choose. But as always, we are going to start our show out with taking a breath. And I remind you that we take a moment to center ourselves and to find our breath to tune into that very thing that gives us life. So if you would, I invite you, if you'd like to, to just close your eyes and take a moment to connect with divine wisdom by breathing in and connecting with your sacred intelligence, breathing out. That sacred intelligence is that divine part of you that helps you to make intelligent choices. And so breathe in the knowledge that these choices manifest your greatness while simultaneously helping others to manifest theirs. Breathe out as well that you are connected with the divine and with each and every person. So as you breathe in and out, remind yourself that you are loved and that you are love itself. Breathe in and out the knowledge that you are a part of a shared humanity and carry within you the power to heal and to be a part of changing the status quo. Breathe in and out, acknowledging the power of one contributes to the power of community. Now take a deep breath in and sigh it out. Mm. There is so much going on in the news today as it relates to abortion and anti-abortion and a woman's right to choose. And who knew that the anti-abortion movement was actually tied in to racism? One of the things that I always invite my students to do in my courses is to ask the question, what does this situation have to do with race? And oftentimes we think that there's no connection with race or racism. But the truth of the matter is, because we live in a society in which our history is steeped in racism, many of the things that we do say, and practice are steeped in systemic racism. So today's guest, Kate Rice, is going to talk with us a little bit about the history of the anti-abortion movement, as well as looking at religion and racism and how they are all interconnected. I want to tell you a little bit about Kate. Kate is a runner, an ex-ski bum, a Java junkie, a Green Bay Packer fan, and a rock and roll singer and stand-up comic who performs mostly in the shower and sometimes on stage, but perhaps she'll get out of that and perform a little bit more on stage for people. She's a prize-winning reporter who covered the dawn of online travel for Top Travel Trade Magazine and consulting companies. She was such an expert on the topic that the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal once both quoted her in the same day. And there's so much that I can tell you about her, but this is the thing that I want to share with you. And she can share more herself about her bio, but I want to share with you her book. It's called Jesus is Not a Republican, A Secular Liberal's Adventures with Religion, politics, and sex. Kate Rice, welcome to the show today. Well, uh, Reverend TLC, I'm so pleased to be here. Just delighted. I'm a big fan of yours, Ah, for starters. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Kate. And I just love, love, love 
you know, the conversation that we're going to get into tonight. Um, I want, though, to start by doing what I always ask my guests. And what is the thing that grounds you in the work that you do? Because your work on politics, religion, and racism, I mean, man, you must feel whipped around a lot. So what grounds you in the work? Well, that, you know, actually, I just had a, I'm, I'm very big into exercise and nature. And uh, I'm a runner, as I mentioned. I'm very into yoga, although I'm into, which is a lot, a lot about breathing and that sort of thing. Also, I just thought just now, as you mentioned it, but I was raised by a man of great faith who was also a runner, <laughs> high energy. And he was a man of great faith, but of quiet faith. And so I do have my own conversations with with God. And um, but I think that's why I'm so into nature, because nature is God's creation. And yes. I just feel more relaxed. Yeah. The more time I spend outdoors, the better I am. Listen, and I love it. I love it because, you know, I think of nature and God being as one because we're all interconnected. And so whatever our sacred source is with creation and with ourselves, if we could just think of ourselves as one. And I am very privileged to be in a place where we get to see the foliage and we get to see the beauty. Yeah. Creation. So I love that you talk about being out in nature and swimming and doing all the other things you love to do. But here's what I'd love to do, Kate, because I think there's going to be so much to talk about. I don't want to, um, you know, uh, lose any time and just really kind of jumping straight into the racist origins of anti-abortion movement, because I think there are lots of people out there curious about that. Yeah, I was actually astonished when I first discovered it. Um, first of all, the one thing I wanted to point out that using religion to cloak racism is not new. <laughs> you just have to look at the Ku Klux Klan. A Methodist minister actually orchestrated the second coming of the Ku Klux Klan in 1915 and with a vision that married white supremacism with Protestantism and in America. And I mean, <laughs> look at what they burn. It's a cross. It's not. It's not very subtle, I have to say. Mm -hmm. um, but to get more to let's fast forward to like maybe like fifty years ago um, to get more to the heart of this matter, and that is, I just want to give you some background on the Southern Baptists and who had a historically neutral stance on abortion. And um, I'm just going to read you a few quotes um, that everybody that I'm sending you so you can be sure to put them in the show notes. Um, but here's what Barry Garrett, head of the Washington Bureau of the Baptist Press, said. He said this in 1973. He said, there is no official Southern Baptist position on abortion or any other such question. He said, among 12 million Southern Baptists, there are probably 12 million differing opinions. This is in 1973. So number two, a Southern Baptist attorney named Linda Coffey wrote a series of legal proceedings that led to the Roe v. Wade court decision that established a woman's right to choose for an abortion. She wrote, I tend to feel that the state should be neutral on abortion because it should never appear either to sanction an abortion or to interfere improperly with a doctor-patient relationship. Um, she was the member of the Park City Baptist, Baptist Church in Dallas, and that's what she told the, the um, Baptist press. She was not a fan of abortion, but that, that was her stance. And then finally, also in the 1970s, um, James Wood, executive director of the Baptist Joint Committee on Public Affairs, in the early 1970s, he's opposing legislative efforts in Congress to overturn Roe v. Wade. And here's what he says. He cites the separation of church and state and the free exercise of religion on the part of those who find these medical services completely harmonious with their own religious beliefs and convictions. They mm -hmm. totally respected freedom to have your own religious belief. And when you look back in the 1960s, their stance on abortion was, you know, it's kind of... We're not crazy about it, but we have a lot of other work to do, which mm. we all do. So, mm. 
So it's curious. A little more. It's it's interesting because it makes you wonder. Well, what happened? Because it's so different now. But I actually yeah. would like you to go back even a little bit farther. Why did it change? Why was this stance taking place in the first place? For perfect. Okay, so let's go back to 1954. That's Brown versus the Board of Education, Topeka, Kansas. It outlaws segregation in public schools. The South exploded. Mobs gathered, and President Dwight Eisenhower, a Republican, a, uh, a, a Christian, and a you know war hero, set, has to send troops to hold back mobs in Little Rock, Arkansas, to allow the, the desegregation of Little Rock schools. The rule of law prevails, but the South is simmering. You have to realize this is an existential crisis for m a lot of whites in the South, because... Look what they've been living for the past century. This is a big challenge to their way of life. Um, and, and some right-wing, some right-wingers smell some opportunity. So let's go fast forward another 10 years to March 7th, 1965. Um, the Voting Rights March from Selma to Montgomery. Um, about, six, about 600 marchers walk across the Edmund Pettus Bridge and they're met by state troopers who club the marchers. One of them is the late John Lewis, who was a 25-year-old civil rights activist at the time. They fracture his skull. The, the nation's horrified by it, by the film, the TV footage of this. And we've seen, like, the movie Salma, and if you see historical footage, it's, it's really so disturbing. Um, two days later, white men with clubs attacked three Unitarian ministers who had been there for the marches. Mm -hmm. And one, the Reverend James Reeb, dies of his injuries. And again, the nation is just appalled at this. Mm -hmm. But not Jerry Falwell. The Reverend Jerry Falwell, two weeks after the march, gives a sermon entitled Ministers and Marchers. And he criticizes such activism. He says, preachers are not called to be marchers, but soul winners. And then he goes a little bit farther and he says, I do question the sincerity and nonviolent intentions of some civil rights leaders, such as Dr. Martin Luther King and Mr. James Farmer and others who are known to have left wing, to have left wing associations, left wing associations. So if you're trying to get the right to vote for black Americans, you're a communist. I mean, really, that's where this starts. I mean, that's my editorializing there. Well, uh, so, wow, I, I just... <laughs> There's so much yeah. to, to yeah. really sort of unpack in there when you're talking about, um, you know, anti-abortion, religion, and racism, yeah. right? That's what we're talking about. And we're going to have to take a break in just a second. Okay. I'd love when we come back to really just unpack what you've just said. And I, and I want to just point out when we talk about even just religion and racism, you mentioned the KKK and what do they burn crosses and you're showing this, this connectedness with religion and racism. But I know in my own tradition as a Presbyterian, um, there are stories of where a Presbyterian minister in the South left his pulpit preaching, went to a luncheon and then came back and continued his sermon. So this runs rampant, and people have justified still being racist, or really will say I'm not racist. But I'm sure that you have much to add to this, to our audience, to talk about the inconsistency and then the incongruency of saying I'm a Christian, or any faith, but since we're talking about Christian at the moment, I'm a Christian who believes in the radical revolutionary Jesus, but yet I believe it's okay to lynch people. So we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I just really want you to unpack that a little bit more and share more really about the anti-abortion and the private schools, if you could talk about that a little bit when we come back. Uh, this is Dismantle Racism. I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC, and we will be right back with Kate Rice. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. 
While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Are you interested in having a better relationship with yourself, others, and God? Greetings. I'm your host, Dr. George Andow, for the show, A Journey Through Into Awareness. On my show, we journey into the awareness that the mind of God is the true seat of our personal consciousness. We join together each Monday at 7 p.m., so tune in on Talk Radio NYC. Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. with Dismantle Racism. My guest today is Kate Rice. And Kate has been talking to our audience about the connection of the anti-abortion movement with religion and racism. And Kate, before the break, you gave some very clear examples of religion and racism. And you talked about the Brown versus Board of Education, um, the, the, the result of the Brown versus Board of Education and how our nation responded, and in particular, how white ministers responded to people of color, Blacks in particular, wanting the right to vote, wanting the right to better education. We have people like Jerry Falwell, who adamantly spoke out against this, but yet would probably say that they're not a racist. And we even know today that there are plenty of white clergy who don't speak out about it, and who decide that this isn't a topic that they're going to get into it. And silence is deadly, and it's also perpetuating racism. And so I think it's really important as our listening audience is hearing this to know that racism shows up differently today than it did back then, because the silence itself is racism. And so for a pastor not to speak out against such things, or I know in your book you talk um, a lot about religion and politics and sex and all of that. I'm sure there's some other ways that you can talk to us later about ways in which Christianity um, is a very racist uh, faith belief. But before we get there, there's a direct connection with the anti-abortion movement and Brown versus Board of Education. So Talk to me a little bit about uh, more of that historical context. Okay. So here is the court case that actually gave the impetus to the anti-abortion movement. It's Green versus Connolly. It was 1972. It was in the U.S. District Court for the District of Columbia. And it said, any institution that practices racial discrimination or segregation is not tax exempt. And this hit something that had sprung up across the South in the wake of the de of, de of desegregation. Um, and major props here to the historian Randall Baumler. He's a historian, raised as an evangelical professor. He's written many highly respected books about religion. His latest, Bad Faith, is a really accessible, easy-to-read book that talks about this. But he's the guy who really um, just uncovered this. Anyway, basically, here's a classic example. Holmes County, Mississippi, the number of white kids in public schools dropped from 700 
to 28 and the next year to zero. This happened across the South as whites pulled their kids out of public schools and put them into private schools. And then the, U, the, the District Court, District of Columbia District Court pulls the rug out from under them and says, fine, go ahead. You can have your white segregated religious school, but you have to pay taxes. You're not tax exempt. Mm-hmm. And that just put, that actually made a huge financial difference for them. And um, the so and the right far right had long been looking at evangelicals as this really potentially wonderful voting bloc, but they didn't vote. And they were looking and looking for something to get these people up, you know, into the voting booth. And they just they couldn't like come up with anything. And then Green versus Connolly, they've got something. Because they can cast the fact that they lose their they lose their tax exempt status as an impingement on freedom of religion. Mm. It's not they can keep running their schools. They just can't. They just can't. Uh, they have to pay taxes. But that's how. That's just how they position it. Um, even so, they can't really. It's a campaign that's like keep our school white. Keep our schools white. They can't even do that. But it's it's like they know this is the issue. But they just need something. That they can, they just need to run up a flag that will not be quite so blatant. And they're looking and looking. And a guy named Paul Weyrich, who is he, he was a co-founder of the Heritage Foundation, and he's been one of the far-right political operatives who's been eyeing the evangelicals and just like, what can I do to get these people into the voting booth? And because you get the white evangelicals in the South, which is now newly vulnerable as a democratic bastion because of civil rights legislation that's challenging their long their lifestyle. Um, and then Paul Weyrich sees a couple of anti-abortion candidates seeing some successes in the polls in, in the Midwest. And Randall Balmer, the um, historian I was talking about, actually went to Wyoming to study Weyrich's papers. And he, he talks about this in an interview on NPR's Throughline, the history podcast. And he talks about how he's reading Paul Weyrich's papers, and he can just sense his excitement as Weyrich reaches, realizes abortion is what he can use. He can use abortion to rally white evangelicals. So here he's got religious freedom and protecting babies. It's like the perfect formula. Mm-hmm. So um, abortion is the headline. But what they're trying to do is keep their right to keep their to segregate their schools. Um, now, so I think our audience just needs to breathe that in, Kate. Yes, I know. The first time I heard it, I was just like, I was on a run. I'm like, whoa. Let me just yes. Yes. <laughs> reverse this and listen to it again. Yeah, right. So, so, so because our schools cannot be segregated, we're going to find something else that we can use to rally evangelicals because they weren't voting and we're going to rally them around anti-abortion. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. And, and at the same time, they're also going to say the government is impinging, is infringing on your religious freedom by making you pay taxes on your religious schools that are segregated. All you have to do is integrate them and you don't have to pay taxes. But they just skipped. But they didn't that want story. to, right? And right. yeah. So, so I think this is really interesting because they're saying integrate, be with other people, black people. But they're like, yeah. no, we're not going to do that. Now, here is what's interesting about what you're saying. This is the part of history that folks don't want their children to know about. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about these days. Uh, critical race theory, which I think most people are really confused about what critical race theory actually is. But when we talk about getting the stories of the past and we're putting a different light on them, people don't want to hear that because they want it kept like, oh, no, 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 no. We, we're not racist. But yet some of those people were out there marching against the integration You know, and we've actually, you know what, thankfully, we've heard people like Congressman Lewis talk about the man who who uh, assaulted him and having a reconciliation moment with him. But how many of those people had moments like that and how many of those people still harbor this hatred in their hearts? And I think that that's why we see this white nationalism that's here now. Some of these people still want 
to uh, say, no, you cannot have what belongs to me. And that's really what a lot of it is about, right? You know, when white people wanted to be separate from black people, there was this fear of, oh, what's going to happen if we allow them to come in, if we give them rights? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. So when you talk about the story of uh, reveal all of this information, what else can you tell us about the connection between uh, these three areas? The thread. So, so one thing that started, I mean, and this is historically, I mean, America was a nation that was founded to be not a religious country, like to have freedom of religion, but also freedom from religion. But there's there's always been this interweaving of America and Christianity. I mean, presidents invoke God when they, Teddy Roosevelt did for some battle he went into. But in the 1950s, it was really the Reverend Billy Graham who started kind of make America was God and democracy, and then Russia was communism and godlessness. And so anyway, right about the same time as Green Alt in this in the in nineteen in the nineteen seventies, we actually get our first evangelical president, Jimmy Carter, who is an honest, he's a Sunday school teacher. He's not a Sunday school teacher because he's posing. He's a Sunday school teacher because he's a born again Christian. That's him. But he's a progressive evangelical. Hmm. And there's this whole progressive Christianity movement that has just been totally buried by the successful branding campaign that the far right has done with Christianity. And but he ends up running against Ronald Reagan, who's he's divorced. Hmm. He's he's a product of the Hollywood machine that a lot of evangelicals think are the sources of the many problems plaguing America. And as governor of the state of California, he's he he signed one of the most liberal abortion laws in the United States, but he adopts this whole God and country mantra, and that's how he kind of grabs, gets the evangelical, the Christian movement behind him, mm. and uh, it's it's like a very good piece of branding. But there's and something else Ronald Reagan. There's something else I think that Ronald Reagan did too. Yes, he has this Christian brand around him. But then, what did he do when he was running for office? Well, when he's running for office in 1980, he's um, he has a he ha- he has he does a subtle nod to racism. By in 1980, one of his campaign stops is at the Neshoba County Fair. Neshoba County is where three young civil rights workers, James Cheney, Michael Schwerner, and Andrew Goodman were brutally murdered. Mm-hmm. And that's where, where he gives a big state's rights speech. Mm. So does that remind you of anybody today? Oh, I would say yes, yes. absolutely. <laughs> it's, he, the, I mean, Ronald Reagan gave us the template for the politics of the past five years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yes. yes, he was a... Yes. Yes, 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 yes. So all of that. But, so, you know, we do have to take a really quick break. Okay. And we're going to be right back to talk about this okay. a little bit more uh, because I would love for you to really uh, give this quote about uh, if you're saying you're you're an anti-abortionist, you're you're I'm not saying if you're anti-abortionist, you're a racist. I'd like you to talk about okay. that. Yes, happy to. Um, so we are going to be right back because it's Dismantle Racism with the Reverend Dr. TLC and my guest today, Kate Rice. We'll be right back. Howdy, I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast, Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. Are you a cannabis enthusiast, a cannabis professional, or interested in entering the cannabis space? I'm Johnny Tsunami, and this is Planet Baco Lolo, a less taboo view. On our show, we will discuss the cannabis world through the perspective of various cannabis professionals. Tune in every Thursday evening, Eastern Standard Time, 6 p.m., Talk Radio NYC, Planet Paco Lolo, a less taboo view. 
passionate about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauber, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. with Kate Rice, and we've been talking about the interconnectedness of anti-abortion, religion, and racism. And Kate, I just want to ask you about this uh, statement of yours. You said, I'm not saying that if you're an anti-abortionist, you're a racist. You said, I'm saying you've been had. Say a little bit more about that. So, well, I actually put that in the book because I was having a friend of mine who is very anti-abortion. And, you know, she's a Baptist and, and I was like talking to her in my head. I was, I mean, I sent her the book, um, haven't heard back from her yet, but, um, (laughs) she's busy. Um, and, and what I was actually saying to her was in this internal conversation I was having, I'm not saying that you are overtly expressly explicitly racist. I'm not saying to be anti-abortion is to be racist. Absolutely not. If you are anti-abortion, I really, you know, I, I respect your belief. However, if you're anti-abortion and you're a single issue voter, only voting for anti-abortion candidates, you have been had because you are voting for people whose policies are racist. Mm-hmm. And I know you're doing it, you think you're doing it out of your goodness of your heart to protect babies, but I think you've been hoodwinked. And you have to look, you have to look at the bigger picture. And I actually had a very interesting conversation with a very devout Catholic who totally lives her faith. I mean, just in her career and taking care of kids with special needs. Um, And she actually voted for Democratic candidates for president because she decided after some serious soul searching that once you got outside the womb, they were the pro-life party, which... I totally agree with that. And so, and yes, that's always the question that I'm always wanting to ask when I see these people out there in front of Planned Parenthood yeah. marching. I'm thinking, what are you doing after the birth? That's yeah, what, like, I, what are you I, doing? I what are you doing for like uh, child nutrition, making sure yeah. that pregnant women get good prenatal care? I mean, half the time, I'm, it, I mean, I mean, I write about that at length in the, the book too, just like all the statistics about. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I mean, so much gets in, put into the anti-abortion movement to, at the expense of all sorts of other social programs that keep people who are that keep people alive. That mm-hmm. mean mothers can pregnant women can have healthy babies mm-hmm. uh, and not have you know babies with born with all sorts of health problems, and and that those babies once they're born have enough food to eat and good schools to go to and parents who have good jobs so they can have nice homes for them. Mm-hmm. You know, all that. Mm-hmm. And so that, and that really, and that really ties into how being anti-abortionist and racism is actually connected because you're just yeah. so focused on, this is my it's, belief that you can't see the, that the very people that you're talking about, you're not taking care of when they get out and right. you think so little of them and devalue them. So really, how are you 
being a Christian in that process. I know it's, it's like, and, and yeah, and these are all, I mean, and then when you look at so, so many, so much is being set, so much hate and vitriol and, you know, is being, is being justified by, by using God and Jesus. And that's Mm -hmm. not what, that's not what Christianity is about. That's not what Jesus was about. It was about taking care of the other Mm -hmm. and not, not excluding the other, which is what so much is happening now. So, yeah. um, so I want to ask you, because I know that, that you, you know, once a journalist, you're, you're a journalist at heart. And so with writing your book, you, you know, you did your research that you needed to do. Um, and, and obviously you share a bit of your opinion and there's lots that I'd like to ask you uh, from the book. I mean, there's such interesting uh, topics there, but, what I really want to know is, um, I really am wondering how abortion came to be a part of your whole journey and your whole spiritual journey. Because, you know, I think it's pretty significant that that struck you in that way. So yeah, talk to me a little bit about and and share with our audience your spiritual journey so that it doesn't you know some people are like ah she's just anti-christian but it's not about that for you no not at all i mean i'm the daughter of an irish catholic very devout irish catholic went to church every day as i mentioned he went to church every day had his rosary in his pocket every day and my mother started out episcopalian she did convert to roman catholicism but she didn't until we were all out of the house (laughs) so i think it's so she still had Sunday mornings to herself <laughs> and dad and dad had to haul us all to church. But what happened was in the 1970s is when all of a sudden anti-abortion rhetoric was became what everything I heard about in church. I was like, what? I mean, that's all they talked about. And mm-hmm. it just was, I'm like, where did this come from? And it seemed, it seemed to be this sort of feverish pitch. I didn't quite, I didn't quite get it. One of my aunts quit taking her kids to church because all the priests did were talk about abortion. And and the thing was, I'm a baby boomer. My parents had, you know, five kids. All of my aunts had lots of kids. The neighbors had kids. And every once in a while, someone would have a miscarriage. And we were all like, you know, really mm-hmm. sad. Mm-hmm. But there wasn't ever a funeral. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, if there wasn't a funeral, all of a sudden, why are they calling it murder? It's just like, I mean, you know, sometimes stuff goes wrong with the pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's, there's, there's so much more to abortion than what gets covered um, in, by, in the anti-abortion movement. But anyway, it, it was so, it really upset me. And I just couldn't, I couldn't go to church anymore. Mm-hmm. And, but I grew up with church, even though I hated to go to church, you know. Um, <laughs> so well, when our parents went, were dragging us to church, we didn't see the value of it. Until I know. I'm, I'm like, everybody's got to have religion so they have something to like get mad at or something. But, you know. So. So I went on this quest and like, um, I did look at the Episcopalian church and then, but then wherever I went, they had just gotten a very conservative bishop. And I was like, they're following me. And, but I had grown up with church and spirituality in my life. And then it, and then little family background, my dad was one of six kids and two of his siblings married Jews. And they, they raised their kids as Roman Catholic. But as a child, I thought, well, they should really raise one kid should be a Jew and the other kid should be Catholic just to keep things even when you're a kid, you're, you're like that. Um, and then I, I do see the impracticalities of that, but still. So then um, I meet a guy, we fall in love and he's Jewish. And, you know, I'm mad at the Pope. I went to the Episcopalian church and they were sounding just like the Pope. And I'm like, you know, I keep thinking about my the aunts and uncles who we had kids, they raised as Catholics. And I'm like, you know, the race is to put enough uh, Catholics on this earth, we can raise our kids as Jews. And so we did. And when I offered that, I didn't realize Judaism was a matrilineal religion. Mm-hmm. And I ended up converting. Um, and it is many, Judaism is a really wonderful faith, especially if you grew up Catholic, going to um, going to confession and raised on hell, because Jews don't really believe in hell. In fact, they're kind of fuzzy on the afterlife in general, at least the tradition that, that I studied. So, um, so I raised my, my kids as Jews. Now, um, the marriage went south and Judaism got 
mixed in with all of the of the problems and traumas of, of a marriage that went pretty bad. And so um, I actually, even though I have many great friends, some people I most admire are, are Jews, I'm, I don't consider myself a Jew anymore because it just got too tangled up. And basically it's another version of religious trauma, just where religion becomes a weapon that someone uses against you and you just, it just gets subverted. I mean, that said, Judaism and the synagogue I belong to also led me into refugee advocacy work, which I was really involved in starting in like 2015 and 2016. And I have many wonderful friends who, from the synagogue that I went to and, and who inspire me to this day with, with their faith. And, and now, so now I'm sort of, um, I'm still exploring religion because writing this book took me to a lot of churches and mm-hmm. it introduced me to something that I had forgotten about, which was progressive Christianity. I was so busy being mad at the Pope and whoever else who was espousing this false narrative about what Christianity is that I completely forgot about the tradition that I was raised in and the tradition of all these churches that I encountered when I got involved with refugee work. Because one thing I did when I was working with refugees is my synagogue partnered with a Presbyterian church in New York to build a really rich program for helping bring refugee families to co-sponsor refugee families that our nation brings to this country after a very strict vetting process. And I actually wrote a book sort of a how-to because we were getting all these requests from people about how to do it. And in the book, I went and did research with, with churches across the country, some conservatives, some more liberal, but all espoused Jesus's message of reaching out to take care of the other, the person, you know, on the outside. Mm-hmm. And um, so anyway, that just introduced me or reintroduced me to progressive Christianity. Well, and I, I think this is an important thing for our audience is that, again, you've done massive research when you're talking about all this. You didn't just pop into one or two churches and then formed an opinion about this, but also you've done your research around even just some of the roots of racism, mm-hmm. right? You know, and um, and we, I mean, really, when you're talking, you say so many things that we could unpack that is that we just don't have simply enough time to do, but one of the things I know that uh, when we were talking, and I and I know we have to take a really quick break, is that your family, uh, I believe it was your grandfather who fought in the war, and you were talking about him um, in World War II, uh, I believe, yes. in, in this letter that you all found where he was talking about, we fought the war in Germany, but we have our own war to fight here. And so he understood that racism was deeply entrenched in this country. And even though he was devout in um, his religion, he understood that and knew that there needed to be a voice uh, speaking out. And so one of the things I just want to say to um, our listeners is that the messages that we send in our homes, they are very, very important to our children because your father uh, learned from you know, uh, his father or grandfather or whomever, and now look at what you're doing. And it and it continues to travel from person to person, generation to generation. And there's work for all of us to do. So we do what we can when we can. And that's why you're you're talking about all of this now. But we have to take a break. And when we get back, I want to talk a little bit uh, just about your book and um, some of the, the topics that you have in there, uh, because I think it would be really great for our audience to hear some of that as well. So we'll be right back with Dismantle Racism and my guest today, Kate Rice. I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC. Hey, everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy and Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. Do you feel uninformed about menopause and how it impacts on your life? 
Hi, I'm Pat Duckworth, women's health strategist and host of the Hot Women Rock radio show, empowering women leaders at menopause. Join me every Thursday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. UK Time on talkradio.nyc for interviews with inspirational women who will share their top tips to rock your world. Have you ever thought of reinventing yourself? Are you looking to create a new life's journey? Hi, I'm Kevin Barbaro, host of Coffee Talk XL every Tuesday night, live, 8 p.m. Eastern, on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live to hear me and my guests from a variety of different backgrounds. As a former college coach and a current full-time actor and owner of multiple companies, my show is as eclectic as my life. That's Coffee Talk XL every Tuesday night, 8 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. back with Dismantle Racism. My guest today is Kate Rice, and we have been talking about uh, how the anti-abortion movement, religion, and racism are all interconnected. And before the break, I was asking you about uh, a quote who I thought was from your grandfather around there being more work to do here. But say a little bit more about that and clarify, because it, it, uh, it might have been your grandfather who made the quote, but your dad Right. So my my grandpa, all th- he had three boys. All three went to war and came back safe and sound in World War II. Two of them got wounded, but they, they came home. And I found a speech that he wrote a few years after World War II. And in the speech, he said, you know, this is a great victory that we've just won, saving Europe and the world from Nazism. But we have some a, a danger that's just as great in our country right now, and that is racism, which I thought was amazing. So... Um, but, and, but that's, that's the kind of tradition I was raised in, just an awareness of racism is something that is, it just is. So, um, and if I could just say, I think that's so important that he recognized what was going on here, because a part of what happened, happens in religion, and I can only speak from the Christian perspective, but Oftentimes, I work with people who want to go to other countries to do mission work as if mm-hmm. we don't need mm-hmm. to do work here in our own country. And so they can see how kids, for instance, are suffering in Africa or Guatemala or somewhere else. But then they don't look in their own backyard to say, how can we make things better for kids here? Uh, here in this country and where does racism show up it's easier to look somewhere else right and so we can talk Mm -hmm. about it's easier for folks to talk about what happened in Germany because they act as if it doesn't happen here but in actuality it does right all the time yes all the time yeah you know people are mistreated all the time based on their their religion their faith um you know uh their color, all of these things. And so we have to take a look at that here. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I mean, and certainly if if you do want to go and help people on the other side of the world, that's, that's wonderful, but there's certainly a lot of work to do here. And one of the, like one of the big motivations for me to write this, the right Jesus is not Republican was I wanted the secular, the skeptical, the people who had fallen away from religion to realize that there is a progressive Christian movement out there and that every progressive Christian, sec, the secular um, Jewish people who are skeptical about of religion can all work together. I've seen it happen. I mean, a, a, a political, a religious political coalition, religious leaders were instrumental in helping get civil rights act, um, legislation enacted in an early, early 1960s. So religion the re- religious leaders who speak up and can make change happen, but it takes courage. And so everybody who's in a pulpit right now has to stand up 
and speak out for fighting racism, for fighting for equal rights for everybody, for healthcare. And if you're not up there talking about that, right? People want to be comfortable, but I want to just uh, echo what you're saying because we do know that um, you know in the Black Church how important yeah. it was with organizing and galvanizing people together for the civil rights movement. But we also know that there were nuns who were marching in the civil rights movement. We know that there were Jews who were also marching. I mean, yeah. just mentioned uh, two actually, uh, when we talk about um, Cheney, Goodman and Swerner and, yeah. and only two of them were uh, Jewish, but still we do know that there were people who, uh, have gathered together of different faiths to really uh, take a look at racism. So we're not saying that all religion is bad. What we're saying is, not at all. as you say in your book, how some people have hijacked Jesus and haven't mm-hmm. used uh, the radical revolutionary Jesus, as I say, haven't used him as a way of following how we ought to bring people together. So talk to us a little bit in the time that we left about this hijacking of Jesus. And if you can, really quickly, you talk about a racist God. So what can you say about that? Um, Okay, so, well, hijacking Jesus is just, part of it is because um, mainstream mainstream Christians don't wear their religion on their, didn't traditionally wear their religion on their sleeve. I mean, it was, they were like my dad. They were very private about it. Whereas people who are more evangelical tended to, I mean, I saw tended to talk more like Jesus was their buddy. I mean, they like talk to Jesus rather than praying to Jesus. And because mainstream Christians were a little quieter about it, as the, as the right started to take over conservative Christianity, they started, they, they just hijacked Jesus and said, this is what Jesus is our brand. And this is what Jesus is. And he's nothing else. He's mm-hmm. like what we say he is, because we're the ones to talk about Jesus. So we know. Um, so, and, but the thing is there, it, and what they were espousing was this white Protestant G- Jesus. And what this is, what this is a group that wants to be an America that's white and Protestant. Mm-hmm. And they're just trying to keep the status quo. And in the 1960s, when um, religious, courageous religious leaders were, they were like not just marching the streets, they were preaching. They were talking to the folks in the pews and talking to their legislators to get them to to vote for this. I mean, Hubert Humphrey um, sort of quarterbacked a lot of this legislation for LBJ in the early 1960s. And he said, we couldn't have done it without the religious leaders helping us do it. And and so my big emphasis, what the thing is, what I want people to remember is they're progressive not just progressive Christians, but progressive people of all religions can work for positive change. They've done it in the past and they have to do it again, but we just have to recognize the entrenched, you know, that we are fighting systemic racism and which is something I keep learning about all the time. Right. Make sure right. <laughs> well, of course the kids are great with that. Right. But because it's so entrenched in the system, but, Less than, but, yeah. but in, in, and just like one minute, what do you mean when you refer to a racist God in your book? Oh, it's it's when when you use God to keep the status quo that has keeps white men on top. I mean, mm-hmm. um, because there's also I write a lot about misogynism as well in in the book because especially with conservative Christianity, um, there's a lot of misogynism as well, and it's just it doesn't have to be a white patriarchal religion at all, and it's not. I mean, some of my it's so that's basically what I mean is that there was this marrying of identity of America being Protestant and being white. Mm. And so, so that, that's sort of the background of that. And then it's gotten um, in the past, you know, five or so, well, it's just steam that movement has steamrolled and just gotten more and more momentum over the past several years. Right. So, and and we just have, that's why people kind of spaz out when they see, um, you know, God being anything other than a white male, right? Because that's the yeah. of who God is. You know, uh, I remember talking to uh, the author of The Shack once, and we were talking, I was asking him about his character of 
God being a, a black woman. And he said, I did that on purpose to kind of, you know, just shake up people. Yeah. Feel mm-hmm. of who God yes. is. Well, Kate, it has been a delight to have you on the show, and and we've come to the end of our show. So I want to know: Do you have a final word, or would you love to tell our audience about how they can be in touch with you? Oh well, you can just go to kate-rice.com, or you can Google, or just go to Amazon and. Um, and by Jesus is not Republican, a secular liberals, adventures of religion, politics, and sex. But the other thing I want people to do is just like, look for a church that's got a rainbow flag or a Black Lives Matter banner out there. And there's an activist church where you can go and make change. And they're not going to make you sing, you know, they're not going to make you hold hands and sing hymns if you don't want to. They, mm-hmm. Those are the groups, those are the, those are the churches that are social justice machines that can make change right now for for us in our future well i love it i love it i love it because you're telling people that you don't have to run away from god you can run towards god and right. do work uh at the same yes. time kate it has been a delight having you on the show thank you so much for joining us and to our listeners out there may today you tap into that sacred part of you that allows you to make choices that manifest the good in you and those around you know that we are all one and exist because of one another. So make it a priority to share love, hope, compassion, and peace today. Stay tuned for the Conscious Consultant Hour with Sam Leibowitz, where he helps you walk through life with the greatest of ease and joy. Be well, be safe, be encouraged. Until next time. or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant. And on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Did you know that nearly one in five adults in the U.S. battles mental illness? Hi, my name is Albert Dabba. I'm the host of the show Extra Inning. Extra Innings, I discuss the topics of wellness, mental health, and the experience of surviving multiple suicides within my family. Listen live every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern to Extra Innings for discussions with sports figures, artists, mental health professionals, and many others. That's Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be Frank About Health to advocate for all of us. Thank
Kevin McElroy, host of the new podcast, Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. 